Welcome in, I'm Nate. I'm Evan. And this is the Discovery episode of the podcast we like to call Weekly Neurosis. That was well timed. Yeah. That was really cool. So welcome in again. Uh, this is the Discovery episode. We're going to kind of have, I, we're, I think our theme is pretty well tied together. Yeah. So we're going to do the uh, movie of the week this week is Star Trek Beyond, the latest installment of the Star Trek series. Yeah, 13th movie. Thir- wow, that's yeah, incredible. It's crazy. Spanning Oh, long God, time. since like the, the first movie came out in like the 70s. Wow. And the show was on, in the, the original series was on in the late 60s. Wow. So, so it's 50, long I time. believe this is actually the 50-year anniversary of the original series. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's the, yeah, that's the movie uh, of the week, and this week the album of the week is Discovery by Daft Punk, the classic. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll review that, and our beer of the week is Bigfoot Ale from Sierra Nevada, and it's a barley wine. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read the bottle here. So like Nate just said, it's a barley wine, so it's a more potent, more complex beverage. Um, but here's what it says on the bottle. Bigfoot is a beast of a beer brimming with bold, bittersweet malt flavor and heaps of whole cone Pacific Northwest hops. First introduced in 1983, Bigfoot is a cult classic prized by beer collectors. Drink it fresh or cellar. <laughs> Drink it fresh or cellar it in a cool, dark place to taste as the flavors develop over time. Huh. I might keep the other two in here and age them. Anyways, but uh, so yeah, it's a barley wine. So it's this beer is nine point six percent alcohol by volume, volume, and I'm sure it's going to be no uh, small beer to drink because uh, I think the idea with barley wine is that it's some people wouldn't even call it beer, right? I yeah, mean, it's kind of its own in its own little league. And this does. This is a very. It's hard to hard to like describe to be honest. Yeah, well, I I, I would imagine it is extremely. Malty and probably barley wines with the alcohol content up. I'm sure it's sweet too. Yep, very sweet. Little hit of liquor. Yeah, malts. I get that. Yeah, it's really basic. A very basic description. This is a very com, very very complex tasting. Yeah, beer. just on the smell, I can tell that I can smell at first the malts. It's very caramely and bready, but then it's hoppy too. You get that piney, but there's that kind of that. Other layer to this thing that yeah. definitely kind of earns its distinction is a barley wine. Yeah. It's just a, I think it's a more viscous, intense liquid. Nice word, viscous. That's good. Wow, this is just. Oh, yeah. 
out there. That's true. Collect usually collective silence is a good thing, and we're kind of like, whoa, because this is this is out there. I'd give this a shot. I think this, and I think this is fairly approachable for a barley wine. Yeah, I mean, if I think if you're into craft beer, this is this would be one to try out. Yeah, I wonder what this would be like from a keg. Usually, a little bit of a different ride. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if they sell would sell this in a keg. Yeah, I don't know. They made a point on the bottle to say that it's a collector beer. You can collect it and store it. Mm-hmm. Nice, interesting. You can keep the other one and age it with your dogfish 120 minutes. Oh, boy, charity. Yep. No, dude, thanks, man. I'll hide it so I forget about it. Otherwise, I'll find it and be like, I want to drink you. <laughs> Tomorrow, it's like, oh, I got to get it in. No, but that's good. That's uh, Sierra Nevada, mm-hmm. California. Now they brew in North Carolina as well. They built Pre- a big facility there. Yeah, pretty well-known brewery, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they're a, uh, a beer a beer that the, just the design of the bottle would be familiar to people, I think. And I think too, they were kind of one of the first uh, microbreweries that went big and mm-hmm. got really, really big for a brewery. Absolutely. I remember I, I watched Friends. It was last year in 2015. We had watched it, and there were some episodes from like the early 2000s where. I actually recognized a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale on top wow. of their fridge. And I was like, "That's so craft beer must have started to really become a thing around this time. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, interesting. This is a very intriguing beer. It's not clear, no. I don't think. It's not clear at all. Hazy. It's actually really hazy. And it's got sort of um, like a more of a red, a, a, not a dark red, but a red sort of orange color to it. A little bit of head on it. A little bit. Mine didn't last quite as long. I usually like to pour a little less head. Noob. Gets rid of the rid of the flavor. Because it kind of that too. It's true that the head does kind of seal in the flavor. It does. The there's part. less when there's good head on your beer. There's that there's less contact with the, the, the air, and therefore I'm making all of this up. I have no idea <laughs> if that's a real thing. I was about to be you're, like, there's nothing, nothing yeah, you're like, than you're good You're like head. nodding your head at me like, sure, you dumbass. No, no, I think that is true because I think it's the, it releases the oils. That's what I thought, or something to do with oils. There's essential oils in beer. There's also oh, lots of B vitamins. B vitamins. Yeah. It's all sorts of stuff. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But on to our word of the week discovery and the definition. It's the action or process of discovering or being discovered. Uh, the other one is the com- compulsory disclosure by a party to an action of relevant of relevant relevant documents referred to by the other party. Ooh. Like that's alien, like legalese. Al- that's like alien disclosure. Like people think the government is going to disclose how much they know about UFOs. Never going to happen. Huh. huh. Hillary said she'd disclose. Did she? Yeah. Oh, wow. So did uh, Bill back in the day. Back in the dia? That didn't happen. Billy boy. He liked good head. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Low. What, is, what does discovery mean to you, Ethan? Well, it's, again, I like this. I think drink whenever Ethan says, I like this during this section of the podcast. But I like taking a word that just seems like a word everybody's so familiar with and digging into it. Because really, when I think of discovery, I think of, you know, finding new things. And that can come along with so many different emotions like excitement and mystery. Because I guess I I always beg the question here, like, why are we discovering things? Like, how did we come to discover something? Was it on accident? Was it on purpose? Were we looking for something and stumble on it? Or, you know, did we want to learn or create? Or, 
I don't know, I just think it's kind of an interesting thing because all of our sciences and linguistics and everything has come through some form of discovery. And uh, I think that's pretty cool, which is kind of why I like how we paired the movie Star Trek and this beer with it because Bigfoot, you know, it's one, you know, we talked about it last week. Yeah. How I'm, I'm kind of into some of the paranormal stuff and I don't necessarily believe in Bigfoot. But there's a lot of people out there who are, you know, actively trying to prove Bigfoot's existence and discover them. And uh, certainly with the movie and the whole concept of Star Trek in general, people are, these people are discovering new things in uncharted parts of the the galaxy. And I just, it's a great concept. To me, it's a very kind of bright, positive word. Yeah. And I think for me, when I think of discovery, I think of the two things. To get to the discovery, there's obviously like an incredible journey that has to occur to get to that point, and usually it's struggle and not such good stuff, but then there's this discovery, which is magical. I think discoveries are, are magic. You know, you discover a cure. You discover, um, like if you're in sports, like scouting, you discover this diamond in the rough of a player, and it's this, but there's a, a journey up to that point that I don't think a lot of people think about. You only really hear about the the breakthroughs, you know, the discoveries. You never know yeah. about the back end of it, of, of what the person or people had to go through. But I agree, same thing. It's kind of this mystical word, you know, yeah. and I think Star Trek, they're constantly, that's the whole, or Star Trek, it's the whole purpose of it is they're out trying to discover this, you know, these untold pieces of space that we could never even dream of, you know. For sure. So, and I'm discovering new flavors in this beer with each sip. Every sip. It's every so sip. It's so good. I wonder what it's going to do when you age it, because I know, like, Dogfish Head, because I have one down there from 2015, of the one, one from this year. The 120. The 120. Minute. Yeah, yeah. it would kind of be a fun side-by-side, but that just means if, say, you age a beer like this for five years, you know, you need to find it again. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> if true. You, if you want to compare it. And uh, that's not necessarily a given yeah. with, with how markets go and all that. <clears throat> and things could change, too. That's mm-hmm. what I've always thought. Like, I, I doubt Dogfish Head would change their 120, but this, I mean... You know what? I've And I've never aged a beer before. And, and, and really, with a lot of beers, it's hard to age them. But yep. a, a beer like this, which in a lot of ways is an imperial, there's a lot of hops in it, which probably gives it the ability to be preserved over time. So I'm actually going to age this last one I have and wait a couple of years before I open it because I've never done it before. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, totally. And discover discover the new, the new flavor. <laughs> no, discoveries, discoveries are awesome. Uh, but on to our high priority um, news items. The I saw the Rogue One trailer. When did it launch? Okay, on it's, YouTube, it's not. It's sort of a trailer. It's like a. They call it what they. It's what they call a sizzle sizzle reel. So it's sort of a blend of footage, like you would see in a trailer, and behind the scenes stuff. Like in this movie's case, little quick sound bites from the actors and the director, kind of talking about the experience. Blah blah blah. So it was kind of a mixture of that, but it, it came out during Discovery. Or I'm sorry, Discovery. It just sn- snuck in right there. But no, uh, Star Wars Celebration, which is an annual kind of a party that Star Wars has had every year for like 15 years now or something, where that's where they announce new stuff and all that. And that's where they showed this. And I think that was three or four weeks ago. Okay. So it's so, been, ar- been around for a while. Right. And I mean, it's pretty awesome. I think I- I'm personally, a li- I'm hoping that they release a more comprehensive full-length trailer, like an actual trailer, because there was some stuff... I felt like they should have shown in the trailer that they didn't. 
Um, I think I'd mentioned before that I think they need to show the audience Darth Vader before this movie comes out because I still think there are people who do not quite understand where this movie takes place, and that would really help with that. Yeah, because so. they showed the one I saw. I've, I saw the one on YouTube, and then um, at um, Star Trek Beyond, one of the previews was for Rogue One. What? Oh, my Online. God. I have yet to see... I mean, I saw that trailer you're talking about at home, but I have not seen a trailer for Rogue One in the theater yeah, and, yet. And the theatrical... And I saw the movie yesterday. Has, um, I don't know, maybe it was the Atmos. I was in the Atmos zone, oh, see, I was which made this, a huge difference, actually. I was we'll, in one we'll of the smaller ones with a bunch of scrubs who didn't want to spend the extra three bucks. The extra trace dollars. <laughs> but no, and it, they, the closest they get is by is showing, and this is a trailer spoiler, I don't know if that exists, but... Um, they show the Death Star. But even right. still, it's very, um, you don't see, like, the Death Star in it's, its, it's, its entirety. Right. It's like a, a pan shot of mm-hmm. it. It's kind so of a close-up of one section of yeah, it. Yeah, so still, you don't. It's don't, awesome. Yeah. But even with that, like, you know, I'm sitting here, and I'm, I've watched every Star Wars movie, like, eight times this year <laughs> since The Force Awakens oh, came yeah. out. And uh, so I, of course, I know what's going on, but most people don't do that or don't have the time to do that or don't care to take the time to do that, which is fine. But because I've heard some people who are very interested in Star Wars say to me, I can't believe they built another Death Star or something along those lines. Like, why wasn't Rey or Finn in this trailer? And I'm every time I have to kind of say, no, 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 it doesn't take place there. So they really need to establish that, I think. And kind of, I think it's going to be new for people too, understanding like this is the Star Wars like universe, like mm-hmm. the kind of, I know we're very familiar with like the Marvel cinematic universe and things like that. This is very much along that line. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a different, different thing. I, I think they'll figure out a way to market this. I mean, it's Disney for Christ's sake. Well, right. They'll, they'll nail it. Um, I actually, I think that's one of the reasons it's taking a little bit longer. To, to release a full-length trailer. Well, first of all, it's only Jul- or August, so... Got a long way to go. Yeah, they they don't need to hype it up because Star Wars makes its, its money, but um, I just think that... I don't know. I just think they need to make that push, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I agree. But uh, it, also, I think people are asking the question, no, is it necessary for Star Wars to go backwards in time? Because this is another prequel <laughs> Yeah. Um, movie, which is kind of a, a touchy word with some Star Wars fans, but... um. I think that if you watch the original Star Wars movie, it seems so black and white, good versus evil, and this is the type of movie that's really going to expand those elements and add more gray area and blur the lines of good and evil, give the uh, rebellion and the empire a little bit more flesh and bones. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it's going to do a great job. I have, I have, yeah, I have a no, tremendous I have faith no in this movie. I, th- I almost feel like this is... Kind of, this is always meant to happen. That's my opinion of it because yeah. I feel like you kind of have to expand it. We can't just continually follow this single path because there's right. other other shit going on in, in this world. You know, right. there's so I, yeah. I think it's I think it'll be awesome. Don't don't worry, Star Wars. Well, fans. and it's always that that stuff is out there, but you always would have to read books or comics, and when that's great. And I and I've been doing that more lately, but most people don't. So to to sort of officially flush this out in a very visible way, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to add way more, and it's. I I don't think going back and adding more to this world is going to damage it. I think yeah. it's going to be sweet. Well, and they're the way they produced, you know, the last Star Wars movie and this whole crew. I know it's like a different director and all this, mm-hmm. but I have I have total faith in them that it'll be entertaining and it'll be a blockbuster that actually yeah. makes money. Versus the blockbusters we've been seeing, which aren't making very much money at this yeah. moment. But um, 
yeah, we'll talk about that later. So when we come back, what we'll do is we'll review our movie of the week, uh, Star Trek Beyond. Again, this is the Discovery episode. You'll hear the audio from that trailer. Mm-hmm. Probably just going to be a lot Ooh. of like... Is this where we guess what yeah, it sounds it's gonna like? Yeah, it's going to be like flying sounds and explosions. You're going to hear like... Beep, beep, yeah. Beep, that that's what you're gonna hear no but when we come back movie of the week again the trailer audio in the break weekly rest we'll be right back my dad joined starfleet because he believed in it i joined on a dare you joined to see if you could live up to him You spent all this time trying to be your father. Now you're wondering just what it means to be you. It isn't uncommon, you know. It's easy to get lost in the vastness of space. There's only yourself, your ship, your crew. You really want to head back out there, huh? Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. Amen. And this is Movie of the Week. This week, Star Trek Beyond. The plot is the USS Enterprise crew explores the furthest reaches of uncharted space when they encounter a new ruthless enemy who puts them and everything the Federation stands for to the test. Oh. It's going to start John Cho, Simon Pegg, Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Carl Urban, Anton Yelchin, Idris Elba, and Sophia Botella, even though she wasn't featured, uh, she plays a major role. Uh, the crew is directed by Justin Lin, produced by J.J. Abrams, Robert Orchi, Lindsay Weber, and Justin Lin, written by Simon Pegg and Doug Young, music by Michael Chiacchino. Giacchino. Uh, Giacchino, sure. And cinematography by Stephen F. Winden. The filming locales. Principal photography began on June 25th, 2015 in Vancouver and Squamish, British Columbia. That sounds like where Bigfoot's from. Yeah. Uh, but it was also filmed in portions of Seoul, Korea and Dubai of the United Arab Emirates. Filming was delayed for several on several occasions due to script rejections, uh, which is the first I've heard of that. Hmm. Um, and one note... Uh, rest in peace. This was actually the last appearance, or one of the last appearances of the up-and-coming actor, Anton Yelchin, who died in a car-related incident. No, he was not driving his car on uh, June 19, 2016. He was 27. 27. Very sad. Very sad occurrence. Um, so, Ethan, tell me, what did you think about this film? Oh, I loved this movie. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I was a little nervous going in because, obviously... J.J. Abrams departing and going on to Star Wars, Justin Lin coming in. Um, And to be honest, the trailers for this kind of made it look pretty by the numbers. And I think in a way this maybe is a little bit by the numbers, but I was, I guess my expectations weren't super high. I was excited for this movie, but man, I I was blown away by this. I thought it was just incredibly exciting. Like I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I thought the action was amazing. I thought, um, it was really well paced. The character beats were all there, like I was expecting, because the the reboot movie and the sequel did a good job of reestablishing these old characters, and this movie continued to do that in, in interesting ways. 
And I think most importantly, this movie to me, of the three reboot movies at least in the Star Trek world, was the most emotional, I think for a number of reasons. Uh, There was a really nice tribute to Leonard Nimoy, who had passed away last year, who played Spock in the original series. I thought they kind of built that into the movie in a clever way, which I enjoyed. But, uh, man, overall, I was really, like, pumped by this movie. I, mm-hmm. I, I really, like, I was, like, excited when I was walking out of it. And uh, it felt really good. I, I had a really good time with it. And I'm the same boat. I, I was amazed at how entertaining it was. Because, like you, I went in thinking, oh, it's going to be the by-the-numbers Star Trek story where they go to some far-off place, something happens, and they have to kind of adjust. And But I, I, I was just blown away. And there, there were a lot of little things, you know, the, the Spock piece was one of it. Mm-hmm. But there's like little bits of humor and different things that they built in in such a wildly clever way. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the pace of this film was just delightful. I mean, it doesn't go, you know, all out for, you know, you know, 100, 100 whatever minutes. It's it's very, you know, well-paced, but it keeps you interested. It never really drags. Uh, there's always something to think about. And on top of that, I was on the edge of my seat a few times, too, with the excitement yeah. that they built up, which got me really excited, so... Yeah, I, I, re- I really enjoyed this movie. Right, and I remember reading that Simon Pegg, who he plays Scotty in the movie, and yeah, you mentioned he had written the movie as well. He was sort of one of the people who came out when the trailers were first dropped, saying because the neg- there was a lot of negative press towards the, the trailers, and he came out saying he was disappointed in the trailers, and everybody, calm down, you'll like this movie. And I think... Of the of the reboot films, and when I say that, I'm if you're if you're not familiar, if people listening aren't familiar with that, uh, they the 2009 Star Trek directed by J.J. Abrams rebooted the original series from the 60s. Um, so they're the same characters, but they're slightly newer versions right. to them. So that's what I mean. Uh, anyways, I thought of the three reboot movies, this one felt the most sort of the most and the least like the original series in that it was sort of exactly what I thought, and like you said. They go to a planet, they get stuck there, they have to adapt. Yeah, that was there, but everything else in this movie was so good, and I think one of the major pluses that really helped this movie was having an awesome villain. Yeah, like great. His name, his, uh, he's played by Idris Elba, and his name is Crawl in the movie, and he was seriously awesome. Like I, The whole movie, I was sort of like, this dude's cool, he's a neat villain and all that, but there's when you find out who he is and what's going on i was like whoa that's yeah major awesome. yeah major <laughs> twist at the end that you know yeah. you'll you'll find out if you see it yeah that was again geniusly placed but yeah just everything and one thing that it sounds kind of dumb cuz you you know you think you know it's star trek it's supposed to be interesting i i thought this film was wildly interesting as well like there's just so much stuff that you're seeing and the processing visuals, dude that were just incredible it's it's so great in in how it presents itself and it's coming at you very quickly but still your your mind i think at a minimum should be intrigued by this film which sounds very strange cuz that's what films are supposed to do mm-hmm. but i felt this kind of is on a little bit of a different level right i felt just totally like absorbed in this uh, and i think a big part of it was the visuals of this movie which mm-hmm. i was not expecting it to be so like creative and cool looking everything from there's a new character named i think her name was judge jayla jayla they the alien yes yeah and she's awesome she looks really cool and i like her character and i'm glad they did what they did with her in this movie all the alien species the bat the villains in the movie looked cool their technology was cool the planet they were on was really cool and there's a city named Yorktown, which is like a manufactured spherical city in this glass sphere in space. That's sort of like the base they stop at that 
like melted my brain. It yeah. was so cool looking. Yeah. And <laughs> the first, what was it? I'd say probably like the first 20 minutes or so of this movie. It's just like, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Just blew, it just blew me away. And maybe I was enamored. Maybe I'll watch it again and be like, oh, this, this movie is so good. But <laughs> I doubt it. It's just, and then it's so, and there's little tiny details that they throw in there. There's a scene, um, I won't tell you where, but where there, there's like glass flying in the air. <laughs> and it's so intricate and so well done that it almost like attracts you. You're almost like kind of like like sitting there kind of like <sighs> That stuff dazed. was so cool. And they just did it. And they did such a good job. I, I, was, I mentioned to, to my brother who had saw the movie and he liked it a lot as well that I was surprised with how kind of creative visually this movie was. Because I'm thinking... I think this was and I think this was more visually creative than the, even the newest Star Wars movie. I don't think it was. I would, as, I would agree. Overall, I don't personally think this was that good, but um, it this was more creative. It, like my brother, he he said something along the lines of it was like they told the artist to just go nuts, and yeah. they did whatever they gave them because, man, that city was super cool, and it was just it was just so fully realized and creative. It really felt like you were discovering things and going through, like this these weird places that none of these people who had even been to all these places, like these different planets and stuff before it was new to them. Even they really yeah. conveyed that well. Yeah. And yeah, it was excellent storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, which is what movies are supposed to be. But, and I, the characters for some reason were a little bit elevated mm-hmm. to me too, which was, I thought doc was, was just excellent. He's kind of been a, a piece of what they did in the previous mm-hmm. films, but this one he was very up and up Central. in front. Yeah, him and Chekhov, I think, get more screen time, which again, it's a shame because Anton Yelchin plays Chekhov and he has a bigger role in this movie than he has in the last. Yeah, two. and that's kind of. I mean, not to have this be part of the review, but that really broke my heart because it's it like really he's sad. yeah he's and then the, even clearly the, on the way up. Yeah, and even in the credits, it it was this movie was like dedicated to him and Leonard Nimoy. That was really sad. Yeah, it was a sad yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, the, I think what another good thing about the characters is that it, it's a very, their character arcs are very well contained in this movie, especially I think uh, Spock and Kirk, they're, who are sort of the central characters in, in the original series and then these reboots anyway, and they are both put in these very convincing situations on they have a decision to make and this journey is sort of dica- dictating the direction they go on. And by the end of the movie, I was... I was fully satisfied with the story arcs, and I really felt like they grew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was great. That was really just super satisfying. The way it ended, I just felt, like, super good. <laughs> yeah, and the way they, yeah, and, and I guess maybe we sound like a broken record, but the way they played out those arcs was so great because mm-hmm. it's very much the arcs coinciding, the characters are coinciding, and it's just great. I mean, just a, a wonderful film. Yeah. Well, I guess we should maybe try to talk about negatives. Right? I guess we kind of did a little bit. Yeah. But I think if I have, I have kind of two negatives. One of them is super minor, and I kind of mentioned that it's kind of, in a lot of ways, exactly what you would expect from a Star Trek movie, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of by the numbers, and I think that's okay for me, though, because like, like I personally believe in this movie that what they do with the characters was strong enough to overcome that sort of generic premise, so that wasn't a huge thing, huge thing for me, but... My biggest issue with the movie was that I think their, if this makes sense, their grasp sort of overreached their their arm. You know what I mean? Like the, their reach wasn't quite far enough because this movie was so ambitious with its visuals that I think some of the CGI was maybe not as convincing as it could have been. I agree. Yeah. But also, 
in terms of like action and stuff, this one was a lot more over the top than the last two as well. Like you, you need to have a serious suspension of disbelief because even in the within the Star Trek world, the insane science fiction physics they've created, this movie sort of stretches that a little bit to the point where there was a couple of moments that were great, glorious moments, but I was kind of like, mm. yeah, very. And that was mine is that there were a lot of, you know, and again, it's it's totally fiction it's a fictional world but there's stuff where you're like eh like that's Mm -hmm. that wouldn't happen or yeah and that was that was a big thing for me is that it was a little bit too unbelievable in spots and and also too i i agree that really it's it'd be it'd be very difficult to like screw this movie up because you're playing with a pretty you know stacked hand Mm -hmm. in terms of the star trek world and and everything that that they've created but Mm -hmm. Yeah, overall, I still thought, I, I think this is a, a very, you know, I say, I say approachable like 90 times an episode, but I think this is a really approachable film. Oh, big time. Wonderful popcorn flick. It's so like, funny, too. Yeah, just great. Yeah. Great. People were, in my, when I saw it, I saw it on a Monday, mm-hmm. and people were like tense in spots, and they were cracking up laughing in other spots, and it was like, even yeah. though there were like maybe 20 people in the theater... Yeah, there was only two other people, and they were sitting right next to me, but they were, like, laughing the whole... They were clearly loving the whole movie. Yeah. And I will say, you know, the Atmos sound, I normally I normally knock it. It absolutely helped this film. Which is Dolby Atmos, right? Yeah, Dolby Atmos. It's, it's like, like a... 360-degree sound system. Yeah. And, like, there's scenes where you feel the vibrations in your seat and stuff. Real, I thought it added an ele- added added element. Again, I'll remove from consideration of for scoring. But Ooh, also shout out to Beastie Boys because yeah, probably this the part in this movie that got me just the most like jacked up. Oh yeah. involved a Beastie Boys song, and it's that might sound like Beastie Boys in Star Trek, but I guess you have to remember that this is set in the future on Earth. And I, I like how they refer to some hip-hop music as classical, classical music. music. I thought that was hilarious. And there's a scene involving a Beastie Boys song that I just about jumped up and did a backflip off my chair. It was so intense and awesome. Yeah. It was great. It was. That was a great moment. And good, like, there's very little music in this movie, but the two songs that are, it's, like, perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, I mean, the, the score, though, it's the classic original series music that I was attempting to sing earlier. Yeah. I'm not going to do it again. But, uh, <laughs> so, well, I mean, no. yeah, I guess the score in this was as, it was what you'd expect. But, yeah, those moments with... Oh, oh was, jacked up. That was I was like, like, was like some 300 And it was sort of, of a like, callback. Rah. Yeah, and it was sort of like a callback to the, the first reboot, too, because he listens to Beastie Boys in that movie, and, and I won't spoil it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would you rate this, though? One. I give it a solid nine out of ten. This nine, to me, wow. this to me was the most. Other than the witch, I think this was maybe the most surprised I've been by a movie this year. Because with Civil War, I also gave a nine out of ten. I was really expecting it to be as good as it was. With this one, I don't know. And like you said, maybe on repeat viewings, it might not play as well. But I can only speak to the the experience I had last night in the theater and. Uh, it blew me away, other than some of the kind of stuff where I raised my eyebrows and some of the CGI was a little wishy-washy. Uh, I love this movie. I had a total blast with it. Nice. What would you give it? I gave it an 8.2 out of 10. Nice. So, I, again, I, I what, 9? That's that's really high. Oh, well, but and I, and I, I should I also... See, I'm a huge Star Trek yeah, fan, Yeah, and 
I I am not, so I'm yeah. I'm not like a monster follower. I couldn't tell you. I've been fitting time in the last like two months. I've been I rewatched all of the movies. Well, here's a question then: Would you miss? And because I'm not a fan, do you miss anything? Is there anything that occurs mm. in this film that you'd be like, I couldn't? I, I never no. felt like I was like, what are they talking well, about? If you if yeah if you've seen the original series the because the movies have always been kind of second and this is unusual mm-hmm. but the movies have always been secondary to the shows and that goes for the next generation the original series there was never any movies made from the other uh, Star Trek series but I've watched all the Star Trek series as well I love them and the the reason I said I thought this movie was so emotional was because. Yeah, I mean, I think if you've seen the original series and you've seen all the adventures those versions of these characters went through, it does make this more emotional, especially with how they cover future Spock or alternate reality Spock, rather, in this movie. And there's a scene near the end where uh, the younger version of Spock looks at a picture and it's a picture straight from one of the uh, original series. I'm not sure if it's from the series or the movie. I think it's what was from one of the films, but, uh, dude, that scene, like that was a touching moment that like got to me. And I think moments like that are way more powerful if you've seen the original series. So I think, and I at least knew who they were. And I mean, there's a reference, reference to a ship that I think the Franklin. Yeah. That's, I think it's mentioned, but it's not, I don't think it's a huge. Not a huge deal. Well, but yeah. And, and no, you don't need to watch any of the Next Generation movies. I mean, that has no, that's way in the future in terms of the Star Trek timeline. That, that series takes place in the future from where this does. But uh, I do think if you've seen, if you know the characters more, it, this movie works a little bit better. Even though these are different versions of the character, I mean, the core of who they are is still there. So Yeah. Great movie, though. Oh, I love it. I'd say I'd say any any everyone go see it. I think this edges out Civil War for me. I think this I like this more than that. And I, maybe it's I, I have to admit maybe it's just because I'm a little bit of a fanboy for the for the Star Trek. For but the Star, uh, you're Trekkie. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, well, Trekkie that, that's like when I lived in the dorms level. when I was 18 and 19. All I did outside of party on the weekends, drink beer every day, no, yeah. was watch Star Trek. Like I, there was like five or six people. Who I, I who I knew in college who we just watched Star Trek all the time. It's not like we were sitting there with like, oh, dude, this episode's so cool, and the Klingons. Are like, it wasn't like that. I mean, we were having a good time. But man, Star Star Trek is just great. And, it's what's uh, up. It, it was. I, I just think that I, I just wasn't feeling it going into this movie, and it just like total. Even though I've been rewatching all the movies, this movie just like zapped me, and I was just yeah. like, oh my god, it just felt so exciting to 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 see all these characters again in a new story. And if I have to say, with this film, if you're looking for no other value than just to be entertained, just spectacle, just go, gotta go see it. I mean, if it's if you're like, oh, I've been so bored lately, go see this movie. I'm surprised it's not. We can, we'll talk about this at the box office. I'm just surprised it's not performing better. Yeah. Because it's, I think you don't necessarily have to see any of the other movies to enjoy it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. One of those modern, modern things. Um, so on to our high priority news items. Um, Kevin Smith, very... Silent Bob. Silent Bob, basically. He does not believe that there's any sort of superhero fatigue, which we've kind of touched on. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time I've read it as an actual thing. That people are getting sick of the the massive number of superhero films that are are coming out. We've we've touched on that, but I mean, do you think that that exists? Do you think that's an issue? 
Not really. I mean, I think the potential is there for it to. Um, but, I mean, the, before this, the movies uh, X-Men Apocalypse, Batman versus Superman, Civil War. I mean, all those movies did pretty well. And I think Civil War has even been one of the better, um, in terms of money and popularity-wise, has been one of the more well-received of the superhero movies. Um, so I, I, I kind of disagree with the fact that, I, I, I guess I agree with Kevin Smith that I'm not totally on board with the idea, but I think it could happen. And Batman versus Superman, I think is a good example of a movie that was certainly made a ton of money. It wasn't as well received by critics and there was a lot of controversy as we've talked about a couple of times. Um, but I think the fact that there was so much negative word of mouth from the critics, at least did take away some of its, its money. And we can talk about this too, with suicide squad coming out, which is unfortunately also not being very well received, at least. I think if the first time we see one of these big-time, big-time superhero movies bomb that are in one of these franchises, maybe, because we've seen superhero movies bomb before, like uh, Fantastic Four, which came out, I think, last year. That bombed very hard with Mm -hmm. critics and audiences and money-wise. Nobody liked it. Nobody saw it. Um but that wasn't part of a pre-established world. I think when we, if say if Suicide Squad bombs or the next Marvel movie, Doctor Strange bombs, then maybe I'll give it some credence. But uh, I th- so I, I hope I made myself clear. I think the potential is there. But uh, as long as these movies are doing something different, and, and I don't know, I think they're kind of going in a good direction. They've really changed from where superhero movies were even a couple of years ago. And some people are on board with that, some aren't. But I, I, I feel that as of now, no, I think people are still into superheroes. Yeah, I think, and I agree, I actually agree with Kevin Smith as well, but on a different level. I think that people aren't fatigued with superheroes as much as they are like big release movies. Because mm-hmm. superhero movies are almost always big release movies. And there's been a boatload of these monster $180 million budget films that have come out. You know, so I think that's where people might kind of feel the burn but i agree down the road because there's a lot more yeah films that could become series you know that the potential and the breeding ground is definitely definitely there well right and um i I forgot to mention deadpool too that's it that that did just phenomenally well um this year but uh i think i think that's perfectly right why why a movie like batman versus superman or x-men apocalypse didn't make twice as much money like the studio probably thought it would I don't think it always just had to do with the fact that, oh, people are sick of it. There's just so many of these freaking movies coming out, and not just superhero movies, any blockbuster, like you said, um, that in order for a movie to break that billion-dollar mark, you can't just capture the hearts and the minds of the comic book fans or the quote-unquote geeks and nerds. I don't use those words in a negative way. I embrace you. but uh, <laughs> We love you. We love you. But um, I, you need to capture the general audiences as well, and I think – People forget that general audiences don't go to see movies all the time. Yeah. And if they see one movie a month and two superhero movies come out in one month, well, they're going to pick one over the other probably. Yeah. And that's just how that goes. And that kind of ties into our, our next thing that we've kind of we mentioned before, but Suicide Squad, I think a big correlation to success is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Right now, Suicide Squad, by word of mouth, the critics, we're running into the critic issue wall mm-hmm. again, uh, is not good. No, it's getting bad reviews. It's at like a 33 or 34% in Rotten Tomatoes, which is at this point better than Batman versus Superman. 
So we're gonna run. What was Batman versus Superman? Like a twenty-seven. Jeez, Louise. Right, uh, and I and I actually enjoy that movie quite a bit. Yeah. We've talked about it, but uh, <laughs> student um, cut. Yeah, I I will say with this, this is getting slightly better reviews than Batman versus Superman, and also from some of the more general audiences. This movie, I think, is getting better word of mouth than Batman versus Superman, just from general audiences. There's been a couple of YouTube critics who weren't crazy about Batman versus Superman who seem to really have enjoyed this one. But I think ultimately with these movies, it's not in critics' hands. Mm-hmm. I think that can maybe hurt a little bit if somebody only sees five movies a year and they go to Rotten Tomatoes and see a movie has a bad score, they choose not to see it. Yeah, That's, I think, X percentage of audiences, which is fine and totally valid if that's how you want to do things. But there's a lot of other people like me. Like, I don't care how bad of a score Suicide Squad gets. I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the movie of the week next week. So yes, I'm going to see it. Absolutely. Even if it wasn't the movie of the week, and I'm it, there. And again, it, uh, critics, you have to take them at their worth. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have a certain standard that they put, I think, I, I would hope every film to. And this is just their opinion. Yeah, I think people take it a little, that people take it like a just a personal cut that oh, this person didn't doesn't validate my own opinion. That's what people want is, is validation of their own opinions. And I totally understand, like, the psychological backing of that sort of thing. But uh, just take a chill pill. Like, I loved this, like, Star Trek Beyond. It's I mean, it's gotten decent reviews, but not as good of reviews as I thought. But that doesn't mean I'm going to accuse the critics of being paid out by so-and-so. Yeah, and then there's I, all I that. think that just gets into just kind of... Or Warcraft was another one. Yeah. Savaged by critics. I think that was just sort of a failure of communication or a fundamental misunderstanding, which is fine. Yeah. So yeah, with I like what you said though. Critics just just take them for what they're worth. You don't. Yeah. You shouldn't believe everything they say, but it can be a general gauge of a quality of a movie from because it's supposed to be a bipartisan source that you know. I mean, they're they're supposed to, and like I said, they're supposed to kind of have this consistent bar they hold every movie to. Well, just like every individual does. But, and again, I don't think you can really say, though, that like every movie should be measured by the same, you know, yardstick. Well, that's why we all have preferences, right? Because, I mean, I'm not going to rate The Revenant the same way as I would Star Trek Beyond. Sure, sure. Technically speaking. Well, right. But, like, you know, I have a thing called the horror movie scale. Yeah, and that's a di- totally different like scale. Like, when I see a horror movie, if it's p- more poorly acted and cheesier than most movies, I'm giving it a pass because that's what I want in a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but we're actually, we any Blumhouse movie, we're going to give, like, at least a nine because we're paid off by them. Because we are now I'm sponsored gonna, by I'm Blumhouse. I'm just going to admit it. <laughs> Come on, Jason. Just sponsor Send us, Send us that money. <laughs> We know you've got it. <laughs> yeah. But, again, go see Suicide Squad if you think you're going to like it. Yeah, and you know who you are. Yeah, if, and it's probably going to be another wildly entertaining movie. And I think this is just a total shot in the dark here. When we first saw Batman vs. Superman, and I'll stand by this, that I don't think the theatrical cut of that movie was great. No. But the ultimate cut, I love it, and I've actually watched it twice now, the ultimate cut, and I'm actually going to go buy it soon once my budget allows for the extra funds. But, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie, uh, so I, I feel like I'm more comfortable with the direction these movies are going, so I just have a good feeling about Suicide Squad. Got, good, got a good vibe. Yeah, and see, maybe that's me having a bias, too, you know? Yeah. Maybe I'll like it. Even if I hate it, I'll be like, no, I no, loved it. No way. Nine. 9.7. No, but 
I don't know about that. I think it'll be fine. But and then lastly, the other uh, big news that the 2017 Golden Globes are going to be hosted by Mr. Jimmy Fallon. Indeed, just announced today. Come a long way. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I think he's a good choice. Charismatic, talks a lot, funny. Who hosted it last year? Oh, it's um, what's his face? Ricky Gervais, right? Yes, he returned again. Because it was Amy Poehler and Tina Fey for a while, and Ricky Gervais had done it before. But yeah, now Jimmy Fallon, and I think he's a good choice. Yeah. I wonder totally. who will host the Oscars. It was Chris Rock last year. Hmm. Could be anybody. Yeah. It's so hard to tell. We probably won't know until, like, October. Last minute. Oh. Oscar watch. Oh. Academy Awards season's That's all we up. talked about for, like, the first... 15 episodes of this podcast but that's gonna be like i mean that 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 experiencing that like because before i used to like watch the oscars and then i would know like what movies to see well this last time like i said i think one of our early episodes like i was in it Mm -hmm. like i'd seen all the movies i had very clear opinions yeah and it's a different ball game when you you see all that like yeah like when wasn't it mark rylance or what was his name mark rylance I was as pissed off as you could get because I was like, what? You know, just like screaming. I always, to to family and friends of mine who don't care about movies and don't understand why I care about the Oscars so much, I always, if they're into this, I always compare it to like the uh, March Madness tour or uh, basketball bracket. The tournament. The tournament. That's the one. But um, it's the same thing for me. I don't necessarily lose any sleep if my favorite movies get picked because they most of the time don't and that's fine. But it's like super fun because there's politics behind it. There's all this crap that goes into it. And we're at a fun time in the Oscars where we had talked about a lot of the controversy with the you know, diversity and all that stuff. So we're in a time where those politics are changing too. So we'll see different stuff this next year than we ever would have imagined. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think we'll see more genre stuff, stuff potentially comic book stuff might even be in the runnings. But uh, I just I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. And yeah, I think it's cool that you got involved like that because it is exciting. And you have a, a definite opinion. And when like they I, say Mark Ruhr and you think they're going to say Ruffalo and they say Rylance, I can just picture Nate going like, oh. I was just like, fuck that. And you're just like, no. <laughs> but no, it, that's, I never cared that much about the Oscars, but, you know. And it's fun to watch. It is. People it's an exciting and, time here. And then all the, like, good, um, what's the good? Outfits? Like or no good like the the, the award friendly is that a word movies all come out at the same time oh yeah well that like can it's get a like little a stressful rush, and it's like uh, that can get a little stressful when they release like six movies a week that you want to see yeah and I'm just rocking back and forth in my bed like make it stop it's <laughs> uh, crazy time of year but on to our uh, weekly segment by the numbers where we go over the top five grossing films in these United States of America. And the occasional flops. Lots of flops these days mm. that do occur in modern cinema. So number five. That's like the, that, you say that every week. Yeah, that's my thing. That's like the script, it. Do you have it written down somewhere? No, I, now it's all up in the noggin. Mm. I like it. But number four this week was Ice Age Collision Chorus from Fox Studios. It grossed just under 11. You mean number five? Yeah, number five. You said number four. Did I say number four? I was reading that it was four last week. That's yeah. what I meant to say. Number mm. five was Ice Age Collision Chorus from Fox Studios. Uh, 10.988, it's almost 11 million. It has flopped. It's got 42.5 or 42. 
Star mm-hmm. Trek. 42.5 on a $105 million budget. Mm-hmm. No knowledge of international, but not good. Yeah. So number four. <laughs> so like, uh. So number four is The Secret Life of Pets. No, so number four is Secret Life of Pets from Universal Studios. Made $18.9 mil this here weekend for a total of $296 million, almost 300 big bucks on a 75 very modest $75 million budget. Yeah, for an animated feature. So Gangbusters good, there. Good job. Good job. Yeah. They did it right. It's I think that's the new. That's going to be the new model. But um, well, t- tell that to Pixar. They did fine with Finding Dory. Stop spending. Yeah, that's right. They made more than that. I'm looking at it. Finding Dory's made $469 million. Boy. Mad dollars. Number three this week was Bad Moms, which grossed a total of $23.8 million in its very first week on a $20 million budget. And that's that was probably the purpose of this movie. My wife saw it today. Said it was delightful. Funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably watch it on... I like Mila Kunis. Pay-per-view. <laughs> Netflix. Netflix. Netflix and chill. That's what all the kids do, right? Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, it looks pretty okay. It looks funny. Yeah. Not the kind of movie I like to see in theaters, though. No. Yeah. It's okay. a good 2 a.m. movie when you're... After you drank four and... Bigfoot ales. <laughs> All right, so number number two this week is uh, the movie of the week, Star Trek Beyond, which had a pretty steep fall, and it made a uh, twenty four point seven million in its second week, uh, so a domestic total of one hundred and six million. I believe internationally it's just floating below one hundred and sixty, and the budget on this is one hundred and eighty five, so not doing super super well. I think we'll we'll see it break even and then some for sure, but. At the same time, this was is probably underperforming from what they expected. Yeah. And, and all the news right before this came out about them confirming the fourth movie, I still think we'll see a fourth movie. And maybe with somebody like Chris Hemsworth in it, it'll make more money. But uh, I, I hope that it makes enough that they don't cancel the next movie because I loved this one. Yeah. I want to see more. It was good. You should go check it out. And number one this week, brand new, Jason Bourne from Universal Studios, $59.2 million. Uh, which is its total gross on a $120 million budget. We were wrong about this one. Yeah, totally. Didn't we both say we didn't think this was going to do that well? No, yeah, we did. I mean, granted, it made almost the exact same amount Star Trek Beyond did. Yeah, and it's going to be competing with Suicide Suicide Squad Squad. next week. I have to think this movie will do pretty good in the DVD, uh, Blu-ray realm, Mm because I know a lot of Bourne fans... That's what they do. That's what I, uh, Lord knows, that's what I did. Yeah, and I, w- I want to see this movie too, but I think with all the other stuff coming out, uh, this is maybe bumped down a peg or two. Yeah. You know what I mean? I might want to get it. I'll probably watch the whole series because I'm, I'm a big Bourne yeah. fan. I haven't watched him. In, I think the last time I watched a Bourne movie was at your first house. I could, I could actually, for once, loan you a movie and yeah. I can loan you the I whole series. I don't have any of them. I can loan you the whole series. Got well, the Blu-ray suit. Well, you don't have this one. No, not yet. Liar. Maybe I do. Whoa. Illegal, Whoa. illegal. Pirates, pirates. No. But uh, that's the top five. A lot of, still a lot, of, a lot of flaps. Mm-hmm. I hope I want to see like all the movies do well. Because, I mean, obviously a lot of work goes into these things. Yeah. A little bit. But that's uh, by the numbers. So when we come back, we're going to do our album of the week, Daft Punk's classic album. Classic. Discovery, which is the theme this week. Mm. 
album. That was kind of a shoe-in. I was really looking for an album to fit in with the movie, and it kind of felt like it worked, right? There yeah. was nothing no, new. No, it does. There was nothing new, A, I wanted to listen to, and B, that I thought fit even a little bit. Well, they're humans that wear robot outfits. Whatever, dude. And have, like, space-age type stages. That's what they want you to stages. think. They're real robots. They're not, though. They're two French guys. Just two short guys <laughs> eating baguettes. Okay, that's not right. Wee wee. <laughs> All right. When we come back again, album of the week. In the break, you're going to hear Musica. Day. That album. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Weekly Neurosis. into weekly neurosis i'm nate i'm ethan time for album of the week buddy take it away all right so this week we're talking about daft punk's 2001 record discovery 15 years ago 15 okay so a little bit of background on this here group if you don't know who daft punk is so daft punk is a french electronic music duo consisting of two french fellas who i'm not even going to try to pronounce their names and let's just pretend they're robots so the two achieved significantly significant popularity in the late 1990s as part of the French house movement, and were met with continuous success in the years following, combining elements of house music, funk, techno, disco, rock, and synth pop. They are also known for their visual stylization and disguises associated with their music. Specifically, the duo have worn ornate helmets and gloves to assume robot personas in most of their public appearances since 2001. Thank you wikipedia so this album specifically again came out in 2001 it uh, marked a significant shift in the group's sound from the more kind of what would be seen now as the more i would personally say the more traditional style house music yeah and introduced way more funk disco kind of 1980s pop sounds to it um and uh, I think at the time it's worth notice, noting that this album was sort of seen as a disappointment, at least by like the fan, like the hardcore fans of their first record, because of that change in style and its somewhat more commercial uh, elements. But uh, since then, of course, I think this album is considered a classic, and certainly since then, the band has gone on to do even, in my opinion, bigger and better Monster things. Monster things. But uh, so, yeah, this album is sort of recognized as a concept album by a couple of critics, apparently, although I kind of struggle to see what the concept would be. And, uh, yeah, 15 years old, crazy. Crazy. So, Nate, what do you think about this album? Well, I like this album a lot. Um, I liked it when it came out. I'm not going to say how old I was when it came out. 64. 64 years old. I'm an alien. No, but... <laughs> um, 
Good album. And, and again, Heinz, it, this is a hard album to actually, in this modern era, kind of judge because now we know Daft Punk has kind of evolved again with Random Access Memories, mm-hmm. and it, now we're kind of used to that. Which came out like 12 years after this album. Yeah, so they, and this one came out four years before their previous album. So, mm-hmm. But I, I think this is kind of, I mean, again, everything they've done has been kind of a quantum shift in how we hear and digest electronic music. I think this... this album does that Mm -hmm. but and it's got a lot of good stuff on it it's not due to random acts memory it's not my favorite daft punk album but again i I think this is kind of one of those things that you yeah we've talked about that with this with a lot of other classic albums where you see kind of the cradle of certain modern elements and Mm -hmm. i think they definitely if anything we kind of reclassified a genre which is very hard to do right this is an album where if you're maybe younger or if you're older and you've just never listened to a lot of music from this era, which is, I can see that happening. This is the kind of album that somebody like that would listen to and say, well, well, they're just ripping off this person or that person. But in reality, this is sort of a, an influencing point for people like somebody like Kanye West, who's producing sound that was very, that became very apparent with like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Like that's thanks to albums like this. Yeah. Like absolutely, the, the the blend of funk and disco and that just bass pumping dance music. I mean that 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 kind of started here at least in mainstream appeal. I think people who are more into the genre would maybe have more to say on that. But yeah. as far as I'm concerned, yeah, this was a, a hugely inf- influential album. Even if at the time people saw it as somewhat of a disappointment, because there's more of an emphasis on this album from their their first album, Homework, is what it's called. Um, towards more hook-driven, beat-driven songs that some of them are shorter, maybe not even fully fledged out songs, but to be very catchy and very hooky. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it, it's a really fun album. I, I agree with you that I like Random Access Memories better. Yeah. But at the same time, I even remember when Random Access Memories came out and people who loved this album were disappointed by that because they were like, oh, it doesn't sound like Daft Punk. But I think, especially now, like I'm kind of flabbergasted by that because I think there's so many elements on this album that still exist on Random Access Memories. It's just less dance oriented. Yeah, and, and uh, my uh, my opinion of Random Access Memories is kind of weird talking about a different album during, during album of the week. But um, came when I watched like the production uh, videos of it and Panda Bear from Animal Ho- Animal, or Animal Collective. Collective. He did a bit on Random Access Memories, mm-hmm. and he said that when they called him and said, "We want you to do a, a piece in our um, on this next album we're producing," you know, just do whatever you want. He listened to Discovery and, yeah. and Homework, and he's like, "Well, I'm going to go towards that." And he did that, and they were like, "No, we're not even trying to touch anything we've previously done. We want this to be totally different." So I sure. think that's kind of how they operate, but. Yeah, just everything, and they do like really weird stuff because you can hear there's a ton of disco hooks in this in this Big album, time. but they're like sped up mm-hmm. or they're just twisted or the reversed, background. and yeah, and it's just really weird stuff that they do. I think I just think they're totally so far gone in terms of like any they're on a different level mind wise yeah. than well, than any of us can probably relate to. Right. I mean, you can see listening to this album why they're kind of seen as these demigods of of electronic music because there's just so much that has gone into this. Every song, every on every one of their albums, and this is no exception. Um, 
there's just so many different layers in terms and, and it, the, it's a it's a varied song listing as well it's not like the whole album has the same sound i mean there are ballads on here actually my my one of my favorite songs on here is called uh, i believe it's called digital love um sorry I'm looking, yeah digital love which is more of a, ba- a ballad song which has the sort of now famous robot voices as they call it um I mean, it's that song sounds like nothing else on this album, and yet it fits right in because yeah. it's it's just remarkable how that 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 house sound, that dance sound, is so apparent. But there's less of it than you would think. I think just electronic music in general has changed so much much since this that this album seems so much more like in a way stripped down and so much more. Uh, can't think of the word just more of like an analog album it doesn't feel like it's all made by computers because i think there's way more talent that went into this album than we we can even describe yeah and i mean if you if you gave this album to a lot of like people who do now listen in in the modern era to to techno or maybe they just i call it techno but it's electronic music but that just recently discovered it and they're listening to more of the modern releases they're going to look on this like a uh, modern hip hop fan would a Beastie Boys album. Sure. Like, they're not going to really understand it. It's going to sound super, and maybe they will understand. I shouldn't, did, you know. They would, I think a lot of people would be asking questions like, where are the drops? Why isn't, yeah. the, why isn't the bass loud or why isn't somebody rapping over this? And I totally get that. But this, the, the sound on this album is so, it's so entirely distinctive of Daft Punk and with all these different layers of disco and funk and everything put on top of each other it's it like you you i love how you said said it it was just it's a building block album mm-hmm. and we've so many another thing is so many of these songs have been used and, and sampled up and yeah i mean it's i mean half the songs in here even somebody younger would probably hear this and know half the songs at least parts of them because so much of this has been picked apart and used in other and, people's music and i'll even argue too that the robot voices very much played into the auto-tune era which yeah. was huge. Same like with Peter Frampton. Bro. And that too, yeah. Peter Frampton, bra. <laughs> no, but like, again, it's one of those things. And you mentioned Kanye West. He's one of many that have kind of taken. Well, he had even had a song that yeah. literally used. There's the song in this album. What is it? Harder, better, faster, stronger. He has a song that's literally based on that exact song. Yeah. Which he's worth, worked with Daft Punk. Yeah. To his credit. He's a talented artist. He just knows it. Yeah, That's the jerk, issue. Jerkwad. But, uh, so, but I do have to say there are some things about this. As much as, as creative and as classic as it is, I do not think it's a perfect album, as, at least for me as somebody who sits down and wants to listen to something. I think that some of the songs, and I just mentioned one of them, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, is one that it's catchy, it's great, it's memorable. But at the same time, if you listen to that song, it's really only one idea stretched to like three or four minutes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It just isn't fully fleshed out. And there's a couple of songs on it. And I got to say, the last like three or four songs in this whole album are kind of the most, bo- I think, the most boring the group has ever been. I think it's they're good songs. The last songs are Voyager, Veritas Quo, Short Circuit, and, okay, no, Veritas Quo, Short Circuit, Face to Face, and Too Long, which I like the songs. I think they're cool. I just feel that it's a little fatigue, and maybe it's just that they haven't aged well because of all the reasons we've talked about. I just think that it sort of spins its wheels a little bit in the end. Yeah, well, I think and when they lay out the stuff they do in the early part of the album with how creative it is and how 
you know, unique it was. When you get to Veridis, what is it again? Mm-hmm. Veridisquow. Veridisquow. I'm totally butchering that. But I, that, it was, I, I was, I was just listening to it and I was like, this doesn't, yeah. it's just kind of dull. It's as if they're like just repeating something over and over. But the end, it doesn't, the album does not end well. No. I'll put, it, I'll put it that way. Well, the song is called Too Long, and I don't know if they're trying to be cute, but by calling a 10-minute long song too long yeah, and kind of having the song, again, just like better, stronger, harder, faster, whatever the hell it's called, <laughs> ha- having the same thing where it's really one concept that's just stretched out, and maybe they're, like I said, maybe they're being cute with that, mm-hmm. and that's cool, but it's still, for a 10-minute song, not the most engaging piece of music on the album. No. Versus, yeah, the way, like, the album opens up with one of their most, arguably their most famous song, One, one More, more Time. Which is just great. Yeah. It's a great freaking song, which maybe you could argue, I guess, that even that song only has one idea. But that's stretched out in a very interesting way. Same yeah. with uh, the second song, Aerodynamic. Which I loved. I love like that weird, they mix like the robot voices with a guitar solo in that song. And it just sounds so cool. Yeah. It's just so cool and catchy. Yeah. It's great. But Digital Love is my favorite song. It's more of a ballad, but it's a great melody. It's super catchy. And it's one of those songs that when you're listening, even on like really good headphones, when it first starts, you're like, does this sound tinny? And like, like there's no bass or back to it, but they're really good at kind of tricking you into thinking that that's the case and then just slamming you with something yeah. epic. Yeah, definitely. And they're, these guys are master producers. Like I think that's their, technically electronic music is all produced because it's really not. Not, the, not these guys, dude. But they're like, they're so good at composing They've proved too that they can play their instruments. Yeah, they they know they know what they're doing. These guys do not screw around. Yeah. Viva la France! Viva la France! So, what would you rate this one to ten? So maybe this sounds a little harsh after gushing over it so much, but I give it an eight out of ten because I think it's great. I think it's classic, but I do think it really bottoms out early. Uh, and there's a couple of tracks even before that that I think are they're good, but they they go on too long or they don't add enough. But uh, it's an album I really respect and I like that. You know, they went on to do Random Access Memories, which is, um, I mean, one of my favorite albums of the last ten years. Yeah. So it's, it's great. I give it an eight out of ten. What about you? I was right around there. I was seven point nine because nice. the the end the end of the album just kind of puts a little bit of a stain on it. You know? yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't fit. <laughs> but yeah, random access memories. We should do that. What? Yeah, one of these days. I don't know album. what the theme would be. But onto Computer. our um, computers. <laughs> Why is that funny? We'll watch Tron be? or something, which even makes sense because they did the soundtrack for the one. Well, then Tron wouldn't movie. we have to review the Tron soundtrack? Shut your mouth! Shut your mouth! Do the next part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I really only music, uh, high priority music news item was that uh, Jack White's Third Man record. This is nuts to me. It is pretty they ridiculous. They somehow built a spacecraft. Not quite. I mean, it was it was a craft that was space worthy um, via balloon. Via balloon. So they have those atmospheric balloons, and they shot it way out into space, and they built uh, somehow a record player that could play Carl Sagan's A Glorious Dawn mm-hmm. in space. First ever time they've played a pressed vinyl album in space. Yeah, and, you know, they streamed it semi-live. I think it was pre-recorded, and then they played the tape live or parts of it were live. I don't really know, but uh, 
I actually watched it because I just happened. Uh, it was before I left for a, a wedding this last weekend. I was like, oh, my God, I have time to watch this. So I watched a little bit of it, and it was pretty ridiculous. And I think, I mean, I love Jack White. I love Third Man Records, and I think this is cool, but I guess I ask the question, why? <laughs> why? Because you even if you play a record in space, which they were successful, the mission was a success, but sound can't travel in space, right? Yeah. So, I mean... Why? <laughs> and there's clearly a lot of money tied up in this. Well, like it's Jack White. Y- you can't just like But yeah, again again, yeah, I guess Jack White. But I think it's cool, but I just I was watching this whole thing and the balloon goes up and when it gets to I don't even remember how many feet it was, the balloon pops and then it was a live feed of it falling in real time. <laughs> and I was watching this like <laughs> Is something else going to happen? And then it like cuts to these people driving around in like a truck going like, we think we know where it's going to drop. But they had all this GPS stuff and they had like this chart of where they think it is. And it was just really strange. It was uh, it was cool. But uh, I just wonder what like the motivation was. I guess it's fitting to play Carl Sa- something by from Carl Sagan. Yeah. Um, because, you know, on the, uh, what was it, the, the Voyager? Is that the thing that they sent way out? And it's past Pluto nowadays. Yeah. But they put that gold record in that, which has, like, all these recordings and stuff in it that would help explain who humans are if some extraterrestrial species were to ever theoretically find it. So I think maybe that was what they were going for, something that was, well, we're bringing analog to the next, uh, the final frontier. Final frontier, (laughs) bro. As as Spock would say. (laughs) Oh, ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, no, that was a ridiculous storyline. So what are you obsessed with? Oh, I got a sad one today. Talk to you about this today. <sighs> so, um, you know, I got my new computer a couple months ago. Yeah. And uh, last night I spilt a bunch of liquid on it, and it was a bad situation. And I panicked, and I turned it off, and I sort of cleaned it, and now it's totally off, and I'm going to be working on the next couple days, weeks, whatever, to make sure it's not broken. I think it's okay. I don't think it was as severe as I initially thought, but uh, I'm not going to play around here. It was a very expensive piece of hardware. And uh, it's really all I've thought about all day because uh really grind my gears when it happened. Yeah, that w- I think that would grind anyone's gears. Yeah, it really wasn't good. But uh, unfortunately, that's my obsession today. Ugh. So what about you? Well, for me, next week, Tuesday on August 9th, my very favoriteest thing in the world oh, starts. Here we go. <laughs> HBO Hard Knocks. Oh, I thought you were going to say no. soccer, you <laughs> son of a bitch. No, it's it's uh, I am a, I'm a, there's one thing I'm obsessed with. It's HBO Hard Knocks. What that, the hell is I, that? It, they take one team in the NFL and they follow them through training camp. Ooh. And it makes you kind of realize how like ridiculous. What are they doing this year? The Los Angeles Rams. Ugh. No, so, that's fine. That's cool. And it's always like a bad team because if you qualify oh, for the playoffs. All of our St. Louis fans, gone. Gone. Done. Well, they're not that great, but. Whoa. Wait, St. Louis, right? Well, no, they're not anymore because they moved to Los oh, Angeles. Oh, that's right. Ugh, that's confusing. So, but no, it, they like follow them through training camp. It's And it's always, it just makes you realize how ridiculous this all is. Like, it's very, like, these dudes are all just like these beefed out machismo dudes who are like, well, I need to be the most manliest man. And. And then it's just, it's so, my favorite part though, and it sounds disgusting, is like at the end when they're like cutting all the people to make the roster 
That's my favorite part because these like huge beefed out dudes usually in these undersized chairs. That's crying. And they're like, well, we're going to let you go. And, and they don't have any emotion. They usually don't cry. They don't get like angry. They're just like, well, they become okay. free agents then. Yeah. Because there could be worse things in life. Yeah. But it's just, it's just an entertaining show. I watch it every year. I didn't, you know, I've heard, I've always been aware of it. I've heard of it. I've just never, you know, thought about watching it. Yeah. And some cool, of the, yeah, some of these guys you realize are just, or some of them are very intelligent. Others sure. are very dumb, and it's just it shows you just their. It's very much a, a raw look. Think at about. The NFL. I'm kind of double back, doubling back here. So they moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles. That just right there shows you how ridiculous and like artificial all that stuff is. Yeah. I mean, it's just as fake as movies and stuff. It is. It's All entertainment. All these people who grew up their whole lives in St. Louis loving them, and now they're freaking in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. I, can, I could not. Because we live in the land of the Packers. Which we'll probably never move. And they, in their history, they'll never move because they're owned by the town. Well, don't say never, dude. I don't think they ever will because they're owned by the town. Just wait till Trump is president. Wait till Trump's president. No, but... So it's it's hard to understand, and usually teams don't move. But to like you said, to grow up and love a team, and then yeah. they're gone. It's heartbreaking. It's hard, yeah. I don't know how you could still follow them. Well, I guess you have to. The what I would do, say in this hypothetical alternate reality, where the Packers were to move to, God forbid, Minnesota. No, I'm kidding. Minnesota's great. They'd move somewhere where there isn't a team yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. San Antonio. I was just joking. Let's just let's throw the example out there. Let's make it real. San Antonio. Boom. Okay, so they moved to San Antonio. What I would do to reconcile my feelings would be to find the, the sort of sort of take a step back and realize how abstract the whole concept is, in general. Yep. And then be like, well, I was never necessarily. I think being attached to the town and the culture is part of it, but what else is there beyond that? And then. Finding the value in the team and the players, not just the organization, not just in where they're located, because home is where the heart is, my friend, and people move. Yeah. So that's what I would try to do. But in, deep down, I'd be it, pissed. Oh, and the thing is, is everyone needs to realize, because people take football so, so seriously now, it's all entertainment. Yeah, it is. It's all entertainment. Yeah, it's all, it's all just people trying to make sense of this meaningless thing we call life. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow, we just got deep there. But anyhow, obsessions. Ugh, computer. Son of a bitch. But the Premier League starts on the 13th, so next week it's going to be... Get out of here. Every week, what are you obsessed with? Manchester City. You're going to throw a can of Fosters at me? And be like, soccer or football. Football. I still call it soccer. That's what it is to me. When you say football, I'm picturing muscly dudes tackling each other. (laughs) Mostly no, but it's been a it's been a fun episode. Daft Punk. Listen to those two albums. I'd say listen to both of them. All Discovery of them. and Ramax and homework. and homework. Oh, and Go Alive. See Star Wars. Listen to that. And listen Star to their Trek. Tron soundtrack. Yeah. Just don't watch the movie Tron. Oh, I liked it. No, I'm just kidding. I liked it too. Make up your own mind. Don't listen to this guy. Yeah. Have your own opinions. Don't and don't listen to the critics and go see Suicide Squad. But listen to us. Week. At least at us. least. You know, you know, absorb what we have to say and then just forget about say, it. Hmm. We're usually pretty positive. I don't say I wouldn't say we totally horribly dog anything. Well, that's good because I hate critics when they like crap on like the the filmmakers or the actors themselves. It's like wait a minute, we're just sitting here watching a movie and talking about it. We're not actually in the 
production process. We yeah. only have so much we can say without being dickheads about it. Yeah. But that's the discovery episode. I'm just going to keep bringing up stuff so we keep talking and talking. And talking. Next thing you know, it's a 32-hour episode. No, but yeah, next week for sure, Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. No clue. I, I think Suicide Squad, you kind of have to go with the metal Ooh, realm. Okay. With that. I what we'll do for uh, uh, the uh, theme. Like villain or something? I know a beer. Do you? Well, gonna, it's going to be secret. Okay. Until... Secret beer. Hashtag secret beer. Secret beer. All right. Hmm. Anyhow, Weekly Neurosis, I'm Nate. Let me think. And this has been the Discovery episode. Everyone, please take care of yourself. Take care, everybody.